The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. I'm Nil Zacharias, and you're listening to Eat for the Planet. On this show, we try to answer the question, how can we eat in a way that nourishes us without starving the planet? The show features conversations with food industry leaders, health and sustainability experts, as well as entrepreneurs and creative minds who are redefining the future of food. Before we get started, a quick reminder that the Eat for the Planet cookbook is now available for pre-order. This is the follow-up to my first book titled Eat for the Planet, which made the case for why we urgently need to change our food system and how we can all be a part of that transformation with our food choices. The cookbook is an essential guide for bringing about that change in your own kitchen. The Eat for the Planet cookbook features recipes from brands like Beyond Meat, Veggie Grill, Tofurky, No Evil Foods, Ripple Foods, and from talented chefs like Miyoko Shinner, Chad and Derek Sarno, Peggy Chan, Fran Costigan, Janet Clairbon, and several others. Go to eftp.co slash cookbook to learn more. The book is available on Amazon and everywhere else books are sold. This is a very special episode of the podcast featuring Dotsie Bausch, the founder of Switch for Good. I couldn't think of a better guest to close out this monumental year with. If you don't know Dotsie, you haven't been paying attention. Even if you are very familiar with her amazing achievements and her story, there's a lot in this conversation that you are going to love. First, a bit of background. After concluding a prolific professional cycling career that produced a medal at the 2012 London Olympic Games, eight U.S. national championships, two Pan American golds, and a world record, Dotsie Bausch has become a powerful influencer for plant-based eating for athletes and non-athletes alike. Dotsie has been featured in the Netflix documentary Personal Gold and The Game Changers. Her latest initiative is Switch for Good, an athlete-driven nonprofit working toward a dairy-free future. In this conversation, we start off talking about the early days of Dotsie's cycling career and the unconventional lengths she was willing to go to just so she could get better. We discuss what made Dotsie stick with cycling through the years, even though she faced failure after failure. Dotsie talks about her moment of Olympic glory and what it was like to retire from cycling after achieving that level of success. We then get into how she started Switch for Good and why Dotsie is now on a new mission to help people make the switch away from dairy. We talk about food industry trends around dairy and why the timing is ideal to change our economic and cultural attachment to dairy as a food group in general. We also talk about leadership lessons and how her background as an athlete helps and informs her new role as a leader of a nonprofit. Dotsie's passion for tackling this monumental challenge of taking on the dairy industry 
and the humility with which she approaches her new responsibilities of managing a team and building an organization really come through in this conversation. If you are even vaguely interested in using your time and energy to pursue something you are passionate about, this episode is packed with insanely good insights and wisdom about overcoming adversity, dealing with failure, beating the odds, and just not stopping and seeing how far you can go with your dreams. You're going to love this one. Kelsey Bausch, thank you for joining us on the Eat for the Planet podcast. Hello, new friend. <laughs> <laughs> we got to hang out in Portugal together, so yeah. it's very fun to be able to be on your podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is uh, way better because uh, Portugal was fun, but uh, we were both were severely jet-lagged for the time that we were there. <laughs> um, so while it was was get great to get to know you and spend time with you, I wish I was fully awake for more, for more of it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so it's good to be awake today and, uh, and, and drive to, um, to where you are. Uh, to sit down and and capture your story and and the work that you're doing now because it's all so so exciting and interesting. So where do we start? I mean, I've um, today is uh, the day we're recording this. Not that it's relevant because it's going to be you're going to be listening to this. The listener is going to be listening to this later. But Game Changers is out on uh, Netflix today, and whoever is listening to this now. Um, uh, if you haven't watched that, you should watch it <laughs> to get a taste of what Dotsie is all about. But we'll go deeper today because um, you're about much more than what that uh, movie captured. I think that was just in in, in an interesting way. It's a um, beginning of a much longer story. Um, so let's go back a little bit. Let's um, One of the things when looking back at your story that um, got me... <laughs> Uh, really excited to meet you was learning about the fact that when you were just starting out in your early days of uh, cycling, mm-hmm. that you decided to take a job as a bike messenger uh, so that you could get your base miles in. And <laughs> tell us a little bit more about that story because, well, on the surface, it sounds like, well, you took a job as a bike messenger. <laughs> um, but it's kind of crazy that you did that. Well, I was I was um, at the beginning. I wouldn't even call it. I was going to say the beginning of my cycling career, but my cycling career was clearly not happening yet. So I was just at the beginning of of learning to really like ride my bike. Um, and I had a dream that I would maybe potentially be able to make it professionally and be on Team USA one day, which was really quite a ridiculous goal at the time, considering I was 26 and just starting to ride my bike. So uh, I was living in Venice and. I was actually working and, and, and making great money in production design in music videos back when there were music videos and uh, commercials. And so I decided to quit that. And really, if I was going to pursue this dream of becoming a professional cyclist, I needed to get some miles in my legs because I was starting so late compared to what my soon-to-be competitors would probably started. You know, most women um, start, you know, 15, 16, 17 in that, in that age range. And so I was living in, in Venice. And so I got a bike messenger job downtown LA because I figured if I rode from Venice to downtown and back, it's 23 miles each way. And then if I had... 
you know, it's anywhere from 10 to 15 miles when you're messengering. So I would at least be able to get 60 miles in, you know, and probably a little bit more every single day. And five days a week, I was like, this is really going to add up fast. This is going to work. So um, I did that. It was 100% guys who were bike messengers. There were 27 of them. I was 28 and I was the, th- was the first female. Um, but I got my miles in. Uh, I became very, very poor, very fast. I, I made, it was, it was like 5.50 an hour or something like that. Uh, and uh, I really was able to hone some skills, though, during that period of time, bike messengering downtown LA, which was the other thing I was missing besides just the, you know, miles on my legs. You're a cyclist. I mean, you, you know, there's a, there's a lot of technicality to it. It's very dangerous sport. So you have somebody that, you know, really has never done this before. I, I was not safe in many of the first races that I started. But those guys helped me learn to, you know, jump some curves and wiggle through things. And, and I learned, I definitely learned a lot from them in that sense. So I did that for, gosh, almost a year, I think. Yeah, I, the reason I bring that up is because um, I, I obviously you know I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs on this podcast, and um, you I guess the reason that story really resonated with me is because you have to really love cycling to be able to do that at a point where, as you said, you didn't have much of a cycling career, and obviously you weren't doing it for the money, um, right? <laughs> so you must have just loved the the process. Like, or were you just so driven that one day you would become? professional that this was the, and if this was the way to get there then then so be it yeah. well yeah i mean i i was um in my journey out of my eating disorder recovery mm-hmm. I, you know I was, I was i was much 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 better and and very uh well by that point and so there was really honestly an aspect to it Neil, where i just felt so grateful and so free that I was able to be on my bike and ride it to downtown LA and back that my body had regenerated itself enough to the point where I could even do that. And um, it was just kind of a thrill, you know, I mean, it was busy. There's a lot of cars in Los Angeles, you know, there's a one really sketchy area that you go through between Venice and I guess I just wrote straight down Venice Boulevard. I mean, it's just all the way downtown. (laughs) So, and there's many parts of it that don't have a bike lane. So I think it was just, it was, um, it was, it was just thrilling. Like it felt good. It made me feel really alive, which I hadn't for a a long time when I was sick. Yeah. And that's such a, um, I don't know. I think it's just this, this, an aspect over there. It's about um, following the the thing that makes you feel the most alive to Mm -hmm. get to wherever you are going to go. And at that point, it seems like you didn't really have a clear endpoint in mind. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think there's, there's a lot to be said for that because, um, well, if you if you follow that journey, <laughs> you pedaling from Venice Boulevard Boulevard all the way uh, to multiple national championships, and then you know culminating in this big moment. And this is fast forwarding many years now, um, culminating to this moment in the Olympics, where you are a few months shy of forty and find yourself as um, as a track cyclist in the Olympics after having quite an interesting. Um, career as a road cyclist and which sound like for the first half of it you mostly lost and uh and and didn't even podium Mm -hmm. for a long time but still stuck at it to the point where you eventually were winning championships and and then find yourself at the olympics um before we get into the 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 olympic moment of course uh what made you not quit through all those years where you were Mm -hmm. you know past being a bike messenger now competing traveling through europe probably not getting paid too much money and not even the <laughs> most important cyclist on your team. 
Yeah. No, I was basically like shining their shoes, my, my team. I mean, I, I, I was noticed at U.S. Nationals in 2001 when I placed fourth against all the best women in the U.S. So the, the national team noticed me at that point and, um, you know, said, come to the training center, get tested. I got tested. I was like not actually I was marginally talented compared to, you know, what could become of my future. And so I was what was known as a domestique on the team, which was the U.S. national team. We were sponsored by T-Mobile at the time. And all of my teammates were were world class, still are world class, a couple of them because they were, you know, younger than I was. (laughs) Um, And so it was just like this. I don't know why I stayed on for the beginning. I lost uh, everything. I mean, one one race in Europe, I was so off the back, as we know that term in cycling, so just not anywhere near the peloton, right? Like, they're across the finish line. I come in so much later that my team director had already started calling the local hospitals to see if I'd crash somewhere on the race. I mean, I was just really, 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 really green. I remember riding against one of my teammates, um, Amber Nieben, who is, she's still racing and is extraordinary, um, world champion, national champion. And she was a college runner and um, just a fantastic, incredibly defined cardiovascular system. We were in the Czech Republic. It was like my second stage race ever. And we're just, we just got there working off the jet lag, riding next to each other. And you know, we're probably going just like 15 miles an hour, just spinning our legs out. I look over at her meter, her her SRM or power meter, and I see her heart rate and her heart rate's at 90. <laughs> Mine was at 160. That's how, like, that's the gap that I had to make up over the next, you know, basically 13 years. Um, I was just entirely and completely inefficient um, in that. So it was just the whole 13 years was just really a story of, just not stopping, mm. just not choosing to stop. <laughs> it was, you know, it was, I guess there was some grittiness that I probably formed in my, uh, throughout my illness with anorexia, but I, I, I just don't know what it was. I don't, I, you know, probably there's different pieces of it that were, was incredible. Right. But it was a lot more crap than incredible i would say yeah. for sure so yeah so i mean yeah because it sounds like you probably encountered a lot of uh doubt and uncertainty and fear along the way but choose to chose to not stop at all um and sometimes just by not stopping you have no idea how far you can go and so let's let's get to the yeah. the night before your semi-final performance uh at the olympics what were you telling yourself i mean here you were and I think at that point, you kind of knew this was going to be the the sort of the end towards the end of your career as a pro cyclist. Yeah. Um, so in, in in some ways, you were like, yeah, I finally made it to the Olympics and that's great. But you also know at the back of your mind, you have this huge opportunity the next day that if you if things go well, uh, looking back, this is going to be a very different moment from just saying, hey, I made it to the Olympics almost um, almost mm-hmm. as a 40 year old, which is um, almost unheard of in the cycling world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I had, um, I had some confidence because we had come out of qualifying, qualifying second, which completely shocked the world. Uh, the bookies in London, London had us at fifth at best. I mean, we had never beaten the British A team, never beaten the Australian A team, never beat the Canadian A team, never beaten the Kiwi A team, like ever, ever in any World Cup in in uh, our last like four years before that. So it was um, 
a, an extraordinary, exceptional ride that we had never produced before in qualifying. And so I knew that I there was part of me that I think we I didn't 100 percent know if it was repeatable. If it was repeatable, we actually needed to go even faster than we went in qualifying. We knew the time that it was probably going to take in the semis to make it to the gold medal final because the semis were you're either going to make it to the gold medal final or you're going to, you know, go to the bronze medal final. So um, it was a uh, I had done an extraordinary amount of mental work before Olympics because I struggled with nerves pretty severely um, in my career. So. I really was in a headspace um, that that rest of that afternoon and that night. And I, I really remember feeling just totally, just totally ready to go put on a show. I mean, and I'd really never felt like that. I was never the athlete, like, you know, like the black hood up and like watch out, you know, kind of like that boxer mentality that you see. And you're like, gosh, how are they so confident? But I had that 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 evening and that next morning. I, I, I literally remember sitting at in um in the olympic village and having our dinner that night and i had just taken an ice bath so i was cold and i had my black hood up <laughs> i remember my coach talking to me the side and i like couldn't really see him out of the court because i was sad the, it was it was um it was something that i had prepared a lot for though me- mentally to be in that space yeah i mean that's such a again such a crucial point about uh how you approach things like that you can have all the physical preparation um but if you you give in to your nerves at the last minute or you put too much pressure on yourself uh, where you're not just able to perform, but instead you're thinking about how you're performing. Um, yeah. It can completely change the the whole whole thing. But obviously, um, spoiler alert, I guess if you watched Game Changers, you know <laughs> this, but uh, Dotsie won a medal, uh, won a silver medal at the Olympics and and that was it. That I think you you told me when we were chatting in Portugal that you decided... Uh, I think while you were at the podium or, or even before that, that this was going to be it and you were going to retire. How is that um, that feeling? Of course, a tremendous feeling of accomplishment, but also must have been bittersweet after you've been doing this now for, as you said, 13 years or so to suddenly now um, look back and say, that's it, that's over, I'm ready to move on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, right, right after... I was so ready to just relax some. So I had a good maybe three months of just really leaning into just just not training like that before and just kind of relishing what had happened and everything. But I did uh, hit a period in uh, early 2014 where I was like, I'm going again. So I was going to be 44 in Rio. Like, okay. Um, And... I had some great mentors say to me, if you want, if you're going to do this, if you're serious about this, you need to move to Colorado and you need to get back with the girls and get, get back in the training because it all seems great from your standpoint right now, right? Like you can't remember all of the awful stuff. All you can remember is the really good stuff. So if you just train in Orange County and train with your husband, Kirk, and you know, it, which is what you're doing now, still riding your bike, it's all going to seem great. So you really, really go in deep if you're going to do this. And I was like, wow, that sounds like really good advice. So Kirk and I moved to Colorado Springs for three months, rented a house brought our three chihuahuas <laughs> and I went back in with the girls who, you know, now they're, they're, you know, a bunch of new ladies coming, coming in. Cause what mm-hmm. we did in London was inspiring. And the, the, you know, the whole program really grew after that. So they're, you know, 18, 19, 20, 24, this kind of thing. Um, and, 
I went back in and almost from day one, I was like, no, I'm done. This is, this is not even interesting anymore. Like it was, and I don't mean that in putting it down, right? Like it, it just, I, I had this sense of like, I've done this. This is not. This does not set me on fire anymore. It was a good challenge, that's for sure. Because man, there was some fast whippersnappers out there. Um, but I was also told by that mentor, "Don't quit on week one when you want to drive back to Orange County and be like, what was I thinking? Stay in it." So we stayed the whole three months, and I trained the whole three months. And what that did, and I would suggest that to anyone, whether it's business or athletics or whatever it might be, is I left Colorado Springs after that three months. I couldn't have known any deeper that that was the right decision, you know? And if I'd left after a week, I would have gotten home and been like, oh, maybe I should go back. You know, Mm -hmm. I knew with a thousand percent certainty that I had given it everything, you know, my best. And I got up to about third, second, third fastest on the team in that period, in that period of time. So I, I, I believe the girls were really fast that went to Rio, but I believe I would have made the team, but it was, um, it just wasn't, it wasn't what I wanted anymore. I mean that takes a lot of um that takes a lot of uh self uh, awareness <laughs> because and I think there's a lot of re- lessons here for someone who's sort of starting off to build something whether it is a food company or they're launching uh some creative project or a nonprofit mm-hmm. is that uh you've kind of have to uh, also know at what point you are not being as uh, productive and as useful and as uh, mm-hmm. creative and as um, impactful as you probably should mm-hmm. be. Mm-hmm. And I know it's this is slightly different because you know cycling is so much about your personal output and the ability you're gonna the amount of time you're gonna spend training, the amount of time you're gonna spend recovering, and a lot of it tends to fall on just an individual. Um, and of course, then it comes together as a team and it's a team sport. But um, the point of knowing that, number one, it wasn't uh, as exciting as it was. Secondly, you you probably could push yourself to those limits, but would that even be what you wanted? And it sounded like you um, had to you had to go to that level and go through those three months to even be sure that, well, okay, yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm ready to do something else. So I think it takes uh, the lessons for people who are, you know, trying to build a team and, mm-hmm. and uh, launch something new or, you know, sometimes you start something and you may have a great idea and you're really good at it for the first year or two, but two years in you realize, well, maybe you're not the right person to take it forward or, or have to have that humility that, you need help to to take this idea or this project or this company to the next level. So it's just that self-reflection that that is important to do because sometimes when you're, I guess, the flip side of being go, 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 you know, take one step and then the next is you don't stop to actually analyze whether you are heading in the right direction and if, if it's whether the place you want to even be going or where you can be the most impactful. Right. So I think yeah. you, you know, I can't say it was a right or wrong choice, but it... it it seemed like that's what what felt right for you at that point, um, and I actually didn't know that. I didn't know you tried to make a, a bit of a comeback <laughs> in 2014. <laughs> so I'm not surprised at all, though. And so then the this this part of your story is is behind you. And um, was it hard to to now say, well, okay, I know for sure that uh, my cycling career is over. Uh, 
obviously you're not just gonna you know relax in in the <laughs> cool california uh the warm california uh, sun and and go to the beach and then uh call it uh you know now it's just having sipping cocktails for the rest of your life right, right. what was going through your mind about um what the next challenge was going to be yeah well i I um yeah I came back from from Colorado and one thing that I knew for sure at 42 was I had never ever ever worked like a real job. <laughs> I had never been in an office environment. I'd never worked for a company or corporation. So I thought, I'm pretty sure I can't start that now. I'm pretty sure if I go get a desk job, I will die. So um, I thought, I got to figure this out. Like I got to figure out something, um, you know. So I had <clears throat> used a lot of... Um, sports technology towards the, like the last couple of years, our, our team um, invested in using some different um, devices and technologies that, that, that help us to gain an insight into what was physiologically going on inside our bodies during rest, right? In cycling, we have tons of information and Intel is what's going on on the bike with wattage, you know, power meters um, and, and other devices, but not so much at rest. So I was using some of those devices that I think really helped uh, me hone in my training and recovery. And it was right around the time that was that quantified, quantified self movement that boomed mm-hmm. in, in that, that period of time, like whatever, 20, you know, 2012, 2013. Um, and so I thought I have a real interesting expertise here um, that not a lot of athletes have and the athletes that do are still, you know, doing their careers. And so, um, I built a, um, a, a really solid, um, pretty well-known sports technology consulting company. Um, and, and so, you know, that's what I did for, uh, well, all the way up until just, you know, like a year ago <laughs> and, and it was, it, it was fun and interesting mm-hmm. and challenging. And I got to work with some great companies, great CEOs, great thinkers, you know, pushed me, challenged me. It, it was a blast and, um, made a lot more money than I'm going to make as a founder of a nonprofit. <laughs> I'll tell you that. Mm-hmm. I just said, go- <laughs> said goodbye to money about a year ago. No, it's fine. Um, <laughs> But it just it's just the way it goes, right? Like it's it's um so that was it, you know it, I w- it was able to kind of put my competitive drive, my competitive nature into that business because it you know no one else was uh, really doing it. So um, I, I had a lot of opportunities and um, it, you know quite it was just a lot of fun. And I was my own boss, which I recognized that I was going to have to set something up set something up that way because my husband was like there's no he's been in corporate forever and he's like you're you'll there's no way you'll make it in corporate. I was like I know I know I have to figure something out help yeah. me yeah so. yeah so then why why stop that why what, what tell me the moment that you decided that um, a lucrative career where you now had a successful business post your Olympic glory uh, like why shake things up I know well you know, a couple of years before Olympics, um, I decided to change over to, uh, you know, predominantly solely plant-based diet. And uh, my window, uh, my door into that was from from the ethics. So, you know, a couple of years before the Olympics, my entire worldview changed. I was now seeing the world with completely different lens on. And um, I came home from London and, and started the you know, consulting business. Well, sort of after the, the try that, you know, the almost comeback. Um, and I was just doing a lot of, um, 
like volunteer work in the movement, right? Like just, just different things. Volunteers, a little bit of speaking. I was leafletting. I did a ton of leafletting. <laughs> I mean, I just like, I don't know how many leaflets I gave out, but it was a lot. Stuff like that. You know, just, just sort of like, well, this is over here and this is, um, you know, what I do to give back, mm-hmm. but this is not my, my business. And I finally started feeling like that's not enough. I can do more. And what if I could do something that really uses my history and my background and um, what I did at the Olympics on plants to uh, help to design uh, something that would maybe tell this story, this movement story, if you will, in a little different way. You know, a lot of people, most people have three entry points into this. I feel like there's a fourth that is burgeoning and it's performance. Mm. And so... um, I just said, you know, it's 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 time. It's time that I, you know, kind of hang up the sports technology and 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 really do something cuz I I mean, you know, I wasn't going to make well, I don't think I was going to make the impact leafletting that I'm hopefully going to make with Switch for Good. So. Yeah. I mean, I guess leafletting was the bike messenger phase of this new <laughs> part of your story. That's cool. I like that. Yeah, you you yeah, you could leaflet, but yeah, you could you could also, you know, get to the Olympics. So bike messengering could have been an end in itself, but it became a jumping off point yeah. to much more. Yeah. And I think you, you kind of had to do your base miles uh, yeah. as an activist to get to the point yeah. where you could figure out where you could make a big impact. And I think the point that you mentioned is that you know, everyone knows the three pillars of why uh, people should shift their diet w- diets away from animal-based foods to more plants. Mm-hmm. Um, helping animals, obviously, uh, helping the planet, and it also helps your own health. Performance is becoming this fourth pillar where um, you can you can say it's a it's a sort of a offshoot of the health mm-hmm. side, but instead of uh, disease prevention, performance is more about like yeah, you can actually thrive on this diet, not just not get sick, right? Not um, just survive and not die of disease. But yeah, actually you you can really do superhuman becomes, things yeah. like uh, go to the Olympics, win medals. Um, and and torture yourself the way you did to yeah. get to that point, uh, and recover quickly, which is the best part about this this diet too. So, tell me that you know. I guess it's. I know you've I've talked about it before. You you were sitting on your couch and you were watching. I think was it the Olympics opening ceremony or mm-hmm. was during the Olympic games, um, and and so so an ad that really sparked the idea that led to switch for good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was um, in 2018. I was watching Olympic trials, so mm-hmm. would what would have been January, right? This is Winter Olympics coming up in Pyeongchang, and I'm watching the trials. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, a Milk Life commercial came on. Milk Life uh, is um, the partnership between the U.S. Olympic Committee and the Milk Pet Board, and um, so. The commercial, you know, it's a 30-second spot, but uh, it basically shows um, uh, the beautiful relationship between a, a skier, a mother, and and her daughter, skier, who's an Olympian and, and multiple-time um, World Cup medalist. Uh, and it basically kind of uses that relationship and that encouragement and that belief from that mother. You see the girl when she's, you know, like three years old walking around with a bottle of, you know, cow's milk. And... Um, and then, and then it shoots to her going down the slopes and having some doubt and her mother saying, you can do this. You were born to do this. I believe in you. And then it shoots up. Nine out of 10 Olympians grew up drinking milk. Mm. You know, it has natural protein as if there's any other kind of protein and balanced nutrition. 
yes for a little baby cow. Um, so that just, I don't know what's, why it sparked. I just sat straight up in the couch and I was like, enough. <laughs> like enough already with the, just the, the BS. Um, because as someone said on Twitter, um, nine out of 10 serial killers grew up drinking milk too. Like why does it, that doesn't have anything to do with anything at all. Um, what you drink as a five-year-old, unless it was like vodka, that probably would not have, you know, gotten you to the Olympics. But other than that, like it doesn't have, and then just, um, just the, the, the misusage of what they're, what they're saying there and um, continuously using athletes and celebrity to sell, to sell breast milk from a cow. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just, it just, I just is like, that's it. I I can't, I can't, (laughs) we have to do, we have to stand up and say no more. Like this isn't okay. Yeah. I mean, when it comes to animal-based foods, nothing truly gets me annoyed and angry, and I'm not an easy person to, to make angry <laughs> and annoyed, uh, is milk. Because, it, you know, it's just, and all the marketing surrounding milk, and um, because it's 99% lies, and, and the 1%, I haven't really found the 1% truth, <laughs> so maybe it's 100% lies. All that nutrition you can get through other right. means, and the one percent truth is that it has some nutrients in it. <laughs> That's true, probably right, and it better because yeah. it's yeah. yeah. And so food. you could say the same of almost any other food that you can say mm-hmm. of milk, except then the what 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 is hidden in the blatant promotion of its nutritional benefits is the actual drawbacks of consuming yeah. uh, milk. And so everyone has their own personal stories of what happens when you cut dairy out of. Uh, your diet and it's I, I joke about how sometimes the plant-based food world um, overstates the impact of a plant-based diet and they claim you know if you go plant-based you'll grow wings and, and have superhuman right. powers and I joke about that because it's true for some people and it's not, not true, true for yeah. others but one thing I've heard consistently and and this is maybe my own experience too which mm-hmm. is why it influences my thought process around this is that I truly, it was the cutting out of dairy that I felt uh, actually helped alleviate problems I didn't know were caused because of dairy. Exactly. I used to get sinus headaches most of my life, and, and I, earlier I thought they were migraines, and then I actually checked it out, found out they were sinus headaches, gone instantly mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, after I cut out dairy for my diet. And, you know, that's just one example, and I'm not saying that's that's proof of anything, but everyone has their own story. So... Can some people survive with, uh, with, with with dairy in their diets? Yes, only because their bodies have adapted. And I'm sure you can say much more about this. Sure. I mean, there's there's so many aspects that we could go into. But I think, you know, one of one of the biggest aspects that I have a lot of issue with surrounding dairy because it's a food food justice issue is that a little over 65% of the world's population cannot properly digest or tolerate cow's milk cow's breast milk. I, I like to be, always be really clear about this, you know, as all the monikers are, you know, milk up and built with milk. It's like breast milk up and built with breast milk. I mean, that's really, cause that kind of tweaks people out. Cause it's like, well, wait a minute. It's like, no, that's what, that's, that's what's happening here. So we have, um, we, a lot of people know that there's lactose in cow's milk, but it's also in every mother's milk, right? It's the sugar in milk, sugar in breast milk from many different mammals. And we have an enzyme in our gut called lactase that helps us to digest that. Well, 
the, our lactase enzyme is designed to turn off around the age of four or five because our body's really smart. I definitely learned that as an athlete and what it doesn't need, it gets rid of if it's not going to use it. So that enzyme turns off in most people around the age of, of four or five. And so then if you're drinking breast milk past the age of five, even your human mother's breast milk, like if you were breastfeeding at 30, uh, you would still have major issues with, with the lactose in your mom's <laughs> breast milk that you did eat, eat when you were two because you needed it. Um, so because of that, people, as you were just speaking about, um, and, and by the way, it's much higher um, in uh, people of color. Right. So people of African descent, it's like around 80 more closer to 80 percent. Um, and uh, um, people of like Indian descent like you, it's pretty high. It's in the mm-hmm. 90s. Asian, 98, 99. Like it's it, it's a joke in Asian communities. I yep. mean, it's just a joke like that. None of them can 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 tolerate. <laughs> and so uh, us Scandinavians, like northern Europeans, like my white self, um, we've been we were the ones that just thought milking a cow was brilliant from the beginning. And so we've been doing it the longest. So I actually have a genetic mutation that left my lactase enzyme on. Mm. I don't have any type of intolerances when I was, you know, used to eat ice cream, let's say. I mean, I could eat like two bowls of ice cream, feel completely fine. But I mean, there's a lot of white people that can't. <laughs> but so I actually have a genetic mutation. So it makes me angry that people that can't digest it are called lactose intolerant because I'm the weird one. Mm. I'm lactase persistent and that's not normal, you know? So I, that's an issue right there that, that, you know, the brown and the black people are lactose and it's like, no, they're normal. So, but the problem with the, obviously those high rates are that we in the U S anyway, the USDA having dairy as a food, um, on our, plate for Americans, it means that we're pushing a food group, we're pushing a substance on the on people that cannot digest it or tolerate it via marketing, feeding this be the school lunch checkoff program, right? All, all the little kids at school, you know, 65% of them are getting stomach aches, cramping, bloating, diarrhea, constipation, waking up with sinus headaches like you, stuffy nose, mucus in their lungs. <laughs> that's that's dietary racism Mm -hmm. and that's what that's what makes me craziness there's a lot of other things wrong with milk but we'll just go with that (laughs) so so tell me how you're gonna how are you gonna fix this problem dotsy (laughs) so how tell me what switch for good is uh what it is and um what your overall mission is and and kind of let's just set the stage for the work you're about to embark on with this amazing new organization Right. So a Switch for Good launched pretty much after I was sitting on the couch and I saw that commercial and then I thought we have to have an answer to this. So within about six weeks, I got a team together um, of, uh, you know, uh, directors and and production and and funders, obviously. And we did a kind of a commercial of our own, a 30 second spot that we put on NBC and the closing ceremonies of that very Olympic Games um, in Pyeongchang on NBC uh, with um, seven. Um, Olympians that don't drink cow's milk <laughs> um, and, and, and just and think it's quite noxious. So after that commercial, I honestly thought that was a one-off. I mean, I didn't have the idea or anything for the organization at that point. Um, but the team of us, after we put that commercial on, kind of got together and, uh, you know, including the funders and, and everyone that was involved and said, you know, there, there's something here. I mean, we're doing something different than what any other um, of the organizations are doing in this in this movement. And, and this could be, it's very niche, 
you know, it's athletes and yes, it does uh, focus on dairy, um, but it's um, it, it has the potential to to do some do a lot of good. So Switch for Good was was basically born in kind of the spring of, of, of 2018. And uh, I mean, the mission is building a dairy free future. Now, that's <laughs> we're a ways away. You know, that'll probably be after my lifetime if it um if it stays here, it's not about, um, you know, destroying farmers and families and, you know, dairy farms. There's um, a lot that we're trying to do to work with some of the great organizations that are helping dairy farmers transition over to yellow pea and lentil farm, which actually would have a lot better yield for them and their family. All of the small to medium sized dairy farms are not making it right. Mm-hmm. We know the, the 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 big daddies, the big conglomerates have come in and are putting them out of business. So they're, you know, they're not, they're struggling anyway. Um, But um, we have four areas in, in, in switch for good that we really focus on. And it is, um, it is the health, but it's very much performance forward um, and uh, food justice and, and, and planetary responsibility because so many people don't realize how much pressure uh, dairy agriculture is putting on our planet, right? Because the cows have to stay alive to produce milk. So it's not mm-hmm. just like a one and done, right? They're, they're around for four or so years before they're killed. So, um, so you know, we're, 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 we're in stride. We've, we've done a lot of different things. When we first started, it was like, okay, I mean, I, you know, the athlete in me was like, let's try this, let's try this, let's try that, let's try, you know. I may have drove driven the team a little crazy in in the beginning. I still drive some of them crazy, but um, it's uh, there were things that we tried that we didn't feel like had as much of an effect or an impact. We are really, really heavy metric impact based organization to figure out is this working or not, and if it's not, clip it immediately. But I'm really seeing um, our niche in in how we tell our story and how we we share with others um, from our team of experts and our athletes is in uh, going in and f- and educating and forming programs in a lot of the big major ball sports. So we have a program right now that's going on at the Clippers. Um, and just last week, I was able to um, meet up with Chase Utley and he's getting involved in what we're doing. So we'll definitely be going to the Dodgers. I mean, there were six dairy-free Dodgers at the beginning of this year <laughs> and they won 106 games, which was the Dodgers history, you know, record in history. Mm-hmm. And then, and then it went South, but uh, <laughs> sadly, but so I'm really seeing that starting to form uh, as where people, um, where people want to see us do our work. Cause the Clippers reached out to us actually. Um, they, they found us and said, get in here and, you know, help, help us with this because we want to be innovative. We want to be pushing, um, you know, the limits and we want to win a championship mm. and, you know, obviously knowing, and, and they're, I mean, you know, they're, they have one white guy on the team, the whole team's black. So probably, you know, 80 to 85% of them, you know, and it t- that's just, obviously that's just a performance hack right there. Yeah. When you stop ingesting something that's, you know, making you feel sick. Yeah. So you kind of go in with, uh, with, uh, with, in, with information and try to educate the team and inform the nutritionists and, um, and their chefs. Yeah. And so is there, um, a real plan you're trying to get them on or you're just trying to get them to understand or, ex- or at least plant the seeds of this idea that perhaps by eliminating dairy in your diet, you may most likely 100% right. <laughs> see, some, <laughs> see some performance improvements. Yeah. Um, and so 
so is that the the plan and then what's kind of the follow through after that that initial meeting or, or right. kind of training yeah we're, so it turns out that all these sports teams are just like all the other regular people that we've talked to about this and it's not overnight Hmm. I had a hope that they <laughs> and no, it's a journey for every single person, right? Some of the nutritionists have been, you know, fed, uh, you know, dairy funded, dairy sponsored research for their whole careers. And they're just like, what are you talking about? Um, but uh, most 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 of them in the in the in the different sporting organizations are really quite open. Um, they've heard this somewhere at some point, right? Ten years ago, it would we would we wouldn't have been able to go in there. I mean, the interesting thing is some of the um, like who got a hold of us was um, D Brown, who's the performance of of I mean the the head of performance, integrated performance, of the Clippers, who played in the NBA for. For 13 years, a long time, um, the Celtics, and then their mental performance coach, they're both dairy-free. So it, mm. we're, we're kind of coming into a time now where, you know, uh, people in these different organizations are, are are trying this, or maybe they're trying plant-based or whatever, and they're seeing just incredible uh, benefits, and Deep has been seeing it. I think he's been dairy-free. I think he's like at nine months or ten months or something now, and he's been getting comments like, dude, you, you, you look like you could play again. What are you doing? Um, so that's that's exciting because it definitely I think opens the staff's mind more when they're who they respect so much it, their boss um is is saying you know I want to bring these people in and and so um so it's you know the chefs seem really excited because I just think it's like fun for them to learn new techniques so you will it, it'll be an education journey Right. Mm. Plus the players themselves. I mean, you know, they're grown men like we can't make them do anything. So first it's offering all the alternatives. It's getting the chef set up with some of those alternatives, too. Um, But it is also it does entail um, having some of the players, um, three to five of them we're looking at completely 100 percent commit and then gather data. Because, again, I always want to gather data um, from before and then 12 weeks later after they've had no dairy in their diet for their inflammatory markers their blood lipids their vascular flexibility and also their performance markers that they normally are tested on and so then we can really we can really start to show changes to other sports teams you know this is happening it's not just you know because right now it's a lot of anecdotal stories from the athletes and great science from our doctors like you know when we went where I presented with doctors you know I'm not going to um, but nonetheless, that's still mostly health information, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that's what we have. So we also have a research arm at Switch for Good because I feel really, really passionate about if this is going to be a fourth entry point, we're really going to develop this as a fourth entry point into this movement. Um, we, we, we have to have some research on actual performance, yeah. you know, not just health. And so is professional sports going to be the, the focus, at least in the beginning? Uh, I can see you know, opportunities to even get involved with universities and schools right. and the athletics programs. And, you know, there are, and since you're leading with performance, you, what I like, like about this, and, and if anyone's heard this podcast before, I, I usually like things that are very specific and, and focused. And this is mm-hmm. as specific as you can get. You're only, you're targeting one food item. It's, it's, it's mm-hmm. dairy. And mm-hmm. of course it's in different forms and milk and cheese um, cream and other things, but it's one specific thing, and you're also tackling it from a standpoint of performance. And of course, you know, people are playing sports since they're 
you learn to walk and you're you're probably going to be playing. Um, And so there's, you know, I know you're starting with with professional sports, but I can see the a lot more opportunity to do much more. I know you're just getting started, but Mm -hmm. what is kind of like the the bigger vision with some of this rollout? Yeah, no, I definitely think that we'll have a lot of opportunity at the university level, most definitely. We we have a, a partnership with a youth soccer organization in Atlanta. It's like 3,000 families. And um, th- that, that's been an interesting journey thus far. Uh, for a few different reasons, uh, you know, it's it, obviously when you're dealing with kids, you're also dealing with their parents because their parents are making their meals, and then, and that's just a whole nother generation to try to help them to understand, um, nu- you know, performance nutrition and, you know, six year old Johnny isn't necessarily trying to perform yeah. at his best. He's just like at soccer practice, <laughs> comes mom made him go, and he'd rather be doing that than math homework. So here we are. So. Yeah, I don't. I don't know um, what it looks like. What Switch for Good looks like for the uh, you know under twelve, let's say, or something mm-hmm. like that. But um, I am. I very much think there's a lot of opportunity at the university level, and I think starting with the professional teams will help us. You know, have um, you know the weight to feed into to mm-hmm. the to those programs too. Yeah, you almost look at it in a layered way. You're leading with performance. Maybe the second layer is health, and then the third layer is. Uh, sustainability and social justice and all of this other um, downstream impacts of making the switch. Yeah. Um, But performance is your sort of lead card that you use to go in. And that's where you're probably going to get the most amount of data uh, as well as make them get the most amount of attention. So it kind of makes sense if you go to professional sports teams, people are going to sit up and pay attention, right? Yeah. I mean, not that I don't want to like help um, you know, a bunch of talented guys in one ball club, but most definitely, I mean, probably the 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 greatest thing from that is the influence that they have on the world mm-hmm. for sure. So, you know, part of this is definitely being able to um, say that we're doing this and and that this is a part of what we're doing, so that people are go, oh, interesting. You know, whoever it is is their favorite player and. And um, it, it's, you know, and in culture now, I mean, mo- most people are just interested in, you know, what they're wearing, um, what, you know, what, 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 what they said, what movie they like, what, mm-hmm. you know, so it's like they're not, they're not, you know, very wrapped up in, um, you know, what, what they might be eating. Um, so it's just it's a, a lot of competition out there for their fans to say, oh, that's interesting, dairy free, why? Okay. Um, but um, it's it's certainly, I think, going to have a um, you know a, a louder echo effect than anything else. The yeah. major, and I know it's again early on in in yeah. your thinking process. But um, do you think of Switch for Good as sort of being this? Um, I know you mentioned you have the research, and you're obviously you're going to track performance and and measure the impact of some of these changes. But do you think of of it as largely like an outreach um, education platform, a place that is going to be uh, where people turn to 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 learn the the science and the details, or um, or that's just the f- the first step you're taking. Uh, and when when you establish that that base or foundation, you can then kind of branch out to do more mm-hmm. specific campaigns and projects uh, that have results in different ways besides just tracking someone's performance without dairy in their diet. Yeah, I, I, if I've learned anything, it's that there. There has to be the why, but then right after that has to be the how. I mean, it's ad nauseum that you and I both hear, 
oh, but how, or I can't do it, or I love cheese, or just the, you know, the, so we're, we're really, um, focused on and embedded in, 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 in the how, as well as, as the education component, like you said, of, of, yeah. you know, that you, you, you should ditch because of this, 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 and this reasons. Okay, good luck. High five. Mm-hmm. You know, it's gotta have, uh, so we've done a lot of work with some, um, uh, you know, people that know uh, quite a bit about how people make decisions, behavioral psychology, understanding um, that much better, and uh, and are you know we're doing a lot of uh, work in that area because I I think that we have to have um, really a deep understanding of you know how and then the how is is different for different people. I mean, it's almost different for every single individual on the planet. So that that's a lot, but we have some work. Um, in that area as well. And so I, I, I think, yeah, I, I don't know how that'll continue to develop, but I know that it's an important part. Like you can't just educate on the other thing is you just, it, you know, it, it can come across as, you know, negative, you know, like you're getting rid of something. Well, what mm-hmm. are you replacing it with? And I, I, um, I, I'm very aware of that. And I, we, you know, we, we have to always have the answer and the positive aspect. If you're taking something out, what are you putting in and, and, and how wonderful it is it what you're putting in? Like, yeah. that's really important. Also, I mean, it couldn't, this, the timing for this couldn't be better. We are sort of at an interesting place in, our food culture and what's happening with the food industry. And, and obviously I, I talk about that ad nauseum on this podcast, but um, if you look at some of the recent trends and data from um, consumer behavior, at least in retail, uh, when it comes to liquid milk sales, it's been declining year over year. Mm-hmm. People are just buying less milk in, in the dairy aisle and instead are choosing the plant-based alternatives, which now make up about 13% of the overall sales in that category. And that's huge. And that's been growing year over year. The plant-based milk category is the f- biggest, most most um, lucrative market at the moment, which is why you have uh, you have entire sections of, uh, of the dairy aisle just dedicated to variations of seeds and nuts and right. other things that have been milked <laughs> into plant-based milks. <laughs> um, and then things are getting even better on the cheese side as, as cheese is a much harder problem. Um, because people are very attached to cheese and there's some scientific reasons for that too. Mm-hmm, but uh, mm-hmm. people love their cheese. And uh, But the news is if you look at retail sales on, on cheese, it's been uh, sort of flatlining while plant-based cheeses, vegan cheeses have been increasing. And that's true of all the the dairy categories. You look at ice cream, you look at, uh, you look at butters. There is a trend, and I think it's because the milks were the gateway when people suddenly realized, mm. you know what, my cereal actually tastes better with almond milk or oat milk, and my coffee tastes better with uh, a plant-based creamer versus dairy. Um, it then allows them to open their mind to other ideas. And, and yes, it's a slow process, mm. but I think the timing is interesting because here you are trying to make the nutritional, the scientific, the performance case for why athletes especially... But, you know, really everyone should consider switching away from dairy um, mm-hmm. to plants. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you uh, you have the consumer base, especially in America and parts of Europe, that are starting to look at dairy differently. And so the good news is that you're at this um, interesting meeting point of these trends where, I mean, it's a great, it's a great opportunity that maybe is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to get people to truly wake up to this idea that not only don't you 
really need to consume dairy from a nutritional standpoint or but also that, that now you have enough alternatives uh, that are the same if not better tasting than whatever comes from a cow and yeah. um, and and that if you try it, you're probably going to easily make that switch. Yeah, and more nutritious, more nutritious, and not damaging. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many aspects. I mean, dairy is so inflammatory. Even if you have, um, you know, zero intolerance to digesting it, there's a lot of inflammatory characteristics of of dairy, um, and you don't have that with cashew cheese or almond cheese or oat milk or rice mm-hmm. milk or soy milk or the list goes on. So it's there, there's so, there's so many positives, and now. Like you said, you know, a good 10 years later, um, the options and the choices are just endless. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's just crazy. There, there's, um, there's just so much and there's so much that you can do even with just like dipping cheese in your Vitamix. Mm. Um, the book, This Cheese is Nuts by Julie Piat, the, mm-hmm. the first recipe I think is smoked almond cheddar. I make it all the time. It's, <laughs> it's five ingredients. That is it. In, in, and I, I fool everyone. Well, nobody's fooled anymore because they know if they're coming to my house, they're not getting dairy cheese. But um, they just are like, what is happening? happening in my mouth like this cannot be non-dairy it's just like you know so it's easy to you know it's not it's it's not difficult yeah and she now has a product line that she's uh, you can buy online so you're a little plug for julie yes uh, yes <laughs> i ordered it like the first day i found out about it i can't wait <laughs> so um so you're obviously super excited about the place you are in i know you're it's it's just about a year or so since all of this began uh and yeah, it's a whole new challenge for you, um, and you could have you didn't have to embark on this challenge. It sounds like you had uh, things figured out post Olympic career and cycling career. Um, how are you feeling about the progress you've made so far? And I know you know it's tough to have you know I know you have a long term vision, obviously, but mm-hmm. switch for good. But a lot of the tactics and the the kind of paths you're going to choose are going to you know, be uncertain in the in the next few months and maybe in the next year or so as you try different things and you see what sticks. And mm-hmm. that's, that's what mm-hmm. entrepreneurship is about. That's what, and I know you're not, it's a, it's a nonprofit, but, but you are doing something that hasn't been done before in a space that hasn't been tackled before. So you're kind of a trailblazer in that sense. So you're going to have to lose a lot like you did early in cycling totally, before you get to some big wins. Mm-hmm. Um, so far, you've been having some interesting wins <laughs> pretty early on uh, with the ad and with some of the work you've already started to do with professional sports teams. But how are you feeling at this stage mm-hmm. of, I don't want to call it a struggle, but uh, I'm sure... You it, can call it, it that. <laughs> <laughs> it's real. <laughs> but, but um, you know, you've got another mountain to climb now with this, yeah. uh, and, and that's part of the fun, right? And yeah. obviously you have a competitive nature in you, and you've got that fighting instinct that, that as you said in the beginning, started off because of mm-hmm. your the health challenges that you faced even before you became a cyclist. So you've obviously built a strong... Um, capacity to suffer <laughs> uh to struggle to deal with uncertainty to deal with uh, miles and miles and miles without knowing what the outcome is and sometimes when you're done with all those miles maybe the race is over mm-hmm. you've got to be okay with that and wake up and try again the next day so yeah. put that into context of what you're doing now with switch for good and and how does it feel yeah, I, I have had to go through really trying to select the attributes and positives of being an athlete and how to apply them to switch for good and how to not apply some of the other um, 
maybe things that were attributes when I was an athlete, but are not going to be when you're running a team. And that's just being a really hard driver, not just managing myself anymore. I'm uh, managing a team. And in the beginning, especially when we got, you know, funding pretty early on, um, I felt this incredible weight on my shoulders. Like I needed to deliver tomorrow because some of the funders believed in me and this vision really early on. Uh, And so I was um, just just hard driving everything. I mean, myself and the team um, to try and, you know, really figure out exactly how we're going to make the impact by tomorrow in in seven different areas on four different pillars that Switch for Good stands for. And um, that was not the best direction. <laughs> I'm learning so much as a as a leader. I mean, I, I don't I don't think I don't know if I'm a good leader or not. You know, it probably depends on who you ask. Um, I, I'm I'm trying my best uh, for sure, but uh, I I just I'm so inadequate in some areas, and, and I'm having to recognize what those areas are and put the ego aside and and you know talk to some of my you know team members and 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 a couple that have really stepped up to the plate who are very young and very new and what in what they're doing here, but want to be here and, um, uh, you know, are pushing me as well, which is, which is very cool. Cause it reminds me of kind of like a young me, you know, like 27 year olds that like, I don't think that's a good idea. Let's talk through that. I'm like, well, <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> so it's, it's just good, but it's different every single day. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, every single day I'm having to overcome, um, my mistakes because mm. I've definitely made some, um, or many and, uh, you know, figuring out our, our road forward. And I, I'm, I'm finally, uh, I was driving myself into the ground in fall of last year. I mean, mm. to a bad way where I was not really taking care of my relationships, especially with my husband. I wasn't exercising. I was just, I just couldn't get out of that. Um, space and kind of overworking and I'm doing a better job now of just, you know, really recognizing that this is, this is the long game. Mm -hmm. Like it's definitely the long game, especially in what we're doing. Like I haven't invented some tech thing that's going to boom next year, right? (laughs) Like, oh God, what we're doing is, you know, it's like one of the, the, you know, the oldest, most, um, you know, familial centric food groups that people, you know, Mm -hmm. are drawn to from their childhood. You know, it's really, so it's, it's, um, it's, it's the long game and being, you know, being, being just okay with that and kind of settling into that and, and being aware of that and, um, trying to make smart decisions, but, um, just also, um, giving myself a break here and there. You know, <laughs> yeah, because this is different as much as it is. You can draw parallels to your athletic career and um, there are days where you're just grinding away and getting through a to do list. And I'm sure you probably thrive at that and are able to get through that pretty quickly. And then you're like, what's next? What's next? Uh, but here are the differences. You're also, you know, if you, back when you were a cyclist, you, you had a coach, you had a team director, you had uh, support staff here. You are mm-hmm. kind of all of that. And you're also running, also writing, uh, so you're you're doing it all in in some sense, and that's the that's the journey of a of a early stage entrepreneur or early stage leader, is that you've got to come up with a plan, you've got to get people to, you've got to rally people around and help get them to believe in your plan, convince them that this is the right idea, and then charge forward like as if their life depended on it as much as yours did. And so you're part cheerleader, you're part coach, you're part, um, you know, leading from the front, the captain, um, and you can't show weakness and you can't show, uh, well, at least 
traditionally the view is that mm-hmm. the leader shouldn't be sh- shouldn't show uncertainty and weakness and and uh, lack of direction. And I think I think we have where yeah. we've got to we've got to change how we do things in, in in that in the world of of leadership too, in the sense that we've got. And I think what you just said is acknowledging the uncertainty, the the fact that you are also training yourself in this new role as you figure out the plans maybe you have the vision and maybe you are the face and the name and the and the kind of voice of this new movement um but you can't do it alone and acknowledging that itself tells mm-hmm. you that you've learned that this is a obviously a different sport uh mm-hmm. and you, the rules are slightly different and you've got to learn them as you go along and that's that's okay that you can acknowledge that and by virtue of acknowledging that you are obviously going to be more receptive to acknowledging that there's there's a lot more you don't know that you know compared to what you know. Mm-hmm. I would like to sign up for Nils class 101 on building an organization <laughs> please. I'm 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 here. I'm right. uh, well I think actually <laughs> I you. think I think a lot of organizations can benefit from the the kind of athlete mindset that you bring. Mm-hmm. As much as you don't know about this new journey you're on uh, there's aspects of your your story so far that is not only could inspire yourself, mm-hmm. but I think that is really interesting for me, uh, and I'm sure a lot of people listening to tap into because we, no matter what your battle is, no matter what your struggle is, no matter what that thing you're building or that goal you're working towards, a lot of it comes down to your ability to push through losses. A lot of it comes down to your ability to um, push through things that are not working out um, or when things feel like it's a struggle. And a lot of it comes down to your ability to acknowledge that you still have to train harder. So you've got to learn a lot more. Yeah. A lot of that still applies to what you're doing. So I don't mm-hmm. think you give yourself enough credit. Okay. Thank you. Give <laughs> <laughs> myself a little more <laughs> to feel good. <laughs> so so what's your what's your uh what's your vision? What's that true north? Where do you want to get with Switch for Good? Um well first I want to get where every single athlete on the planet um leans away from dairy and leans into plant foods to fuel themselves for their own health and their own performance and their own responsibility on this, you know, spinning blue ball that we're on. Uh, But really, eventually, I would like to get to a place where we are um, not stealing the breast milk from cows and using it to get our kicks off cheese. I mean, I would like to get to a future that looks like that and where all of those farmers are still farming, but they're 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 farming beans and they're making a lot more money and they're, you know, surviving and thriving and still loving their land and loving their life. Um, But we're just not in this what I think is just a sick and twisted, sadistic scenario where we're um, impregnating animals and then they're having babies and then we're stealing them and then we're sucking on their boobs. I just can't I, make any sense of that at all. And so, I, I love the fact that you you don't hold back on that as well because it's tell it like it is. It's yeah. sort of absurd what we do. It's crazy. It's insane. I mean, but I mean, I and I grew up in in the South. I grew up in Kentucky. I mean, I grew up milk guzzling every single night, macaroni and cheese, potatoes au gratin, coleslaw, like tons and tons and tons of dairy. I mean, I get it. Like I I'm not. I just when I saw. 
when I saw it with my own eyes, it just, you know, I had to unravel everything I ever knew or learned or thought was okay. So it's a journey, you know, people out there. Like, I'm not expecting everyone to see it exactly as I just described it. It's just that that's exactly what it is. And, and, And whether there's mistreatment or not in the dairy industry, we don't even need to talk about that. Stealing a baby from her mother is not okay. Well, yeah, I think that is is reason enough to focus on what you're focusing on. Um, but I think we're fortunate that in addition to those things just being completely unnecessary and cruel, unjust, and frankly, ridiculously absurd, that, that, that we have an entire industry built on that. Mm-hmm. It's also great to know that the science backs up the fact that we don't need Right. Dairy. Yeah. So yeah. Um, your 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 per, your word unnecessary is the mm-hmm. perfect word. Like what are we doing when it's an entirely unnecessary food for human consumption? It's not necessary. Yeah. Like we're all thriving on other things that have calcium and vitamin D and potassium and mag- magnesium and protein. Like we're all there's it's everywhere. So it's just unnecessary. Yeah. So what are we doing? Yeah, I would love someone to come up and and debate someone I mean, I'm not a fan of debates cuz they just tend to be pointless most of the time um it just confuses people but in this case i think it's like i don't besides the milk board of course and and the dairy industry i don't hear anyone saying that you need dairy so Mm -hmm. it it is just it's unnecessary and if it's unnecessary let's let's wipe it out um let's get people to switch away from it so hence it for good so I, I think it's an I, th- I think it's an amazing cause that you're focused on. I love the authentic- authenticity with which you address it too, and you don't hold back on the on the harsh realities of what this industry is. At the same time, you realize that we live in a world where, by merely highlighting how cruel and unnecessary it is, we're not going to get people to wake up and switch. Mm-hmm. You have to show them the science. You have to provide them with the right and good tasting alternatives. Mm -hmm. And then you've got to have them try it and see it for themselves. And, and that's why we need switch for good. And that's why we need an organization like that. And looking far ahead, let's say when we make this happen, when we're Mm -hmm. successful, Um, I give the year 2050 and it, uh, and I think it's relevant for many reasons is because we are 7.5 or 6 billion people on the planet today, and we're going to be 10 billion on the planet by the year 2050. Right. If we don't get our act together by then, we're going to be in deep, deep, deep trouble, um, which is why we need to work on all these these issues and transform our food industry, um, dairy including. When we're successful, when Switch for Good is able to climb this mountain and, and you're standing on that podium, it doesn't have to be in 2050. It will probably be way before that. Um, but what is your vision for the food system in 2050 when you're successful and when this entire effort to transform our food system away from animals uh, is successful? What does that look mm-hmm. like? Mm-hmm. I thought you were going to ask me what I was going to do, and I was going to tell you it's was going to go back to making the money, but um, <laughs> but I don't think it's going to happen in my lifetime. God, that's such a wow, wide open like question that just I think the first thing I thought of was just was just beauty. Like mm-hmm. what, cause what will it look like? Like I really thought of what I would envision it, it literally looking like in my eyes and my mind's eye, like what that would look like without, with very little, um, 
disaster and 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 trauma and and pain and agony for for no reason to our fellow beings on the earth what what would that be like what would that look like um you're probably a better person to answer that question anyway but um it's it's uh it's it's exciting to think about but um it's also it feels really far away to me i don't i mean i hope it's 2050 but i it just it feels further away than that just every, with every conversation i have and every email i get and you know we get a lot of crap at Swish for good right like i get a lot of gnarly emails at info at um so maybe in in this i've felt further away than i ever have which is interesting cuz i'm now doing something about it than i wasn't doing anything about it before much about it before and it feels further away now yeah, I think because you're in the weeds right now, so you're. Um, it, it feels like yeah, you're in the midst of the fight. So mm-hmm. uh, it seems like you you can envision the end, but um, but I think you know what that is, and I and I think you you if you didn't know what that was or what that end perfect scenario looks like, you wouldn't have the courage to wake up every morning. So I would say you should spend more time thinking about that because it'll okay. give perspective to. Okay. Because I think we create the future we envision, and 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 sometimes when we don't have the day to day answers, just having that scenario in our minds, mm-hmm. whatever it looks like, where where dairy is now, you know, ten percent of the overall uh, mm-hmm. milk market because plant based and mm-hmm. cultivated dairy and cultured dairy and all these other new technologies have come about. Um, I actually think. I think you're going to be successful way before 2050. I think dairy is dairy is done. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got its mm-hmm. years numbers and uh, numbered, and I think um, it's because of the fight being fought on many fronts. Uh, most importantly, because people are waking up to this idea that dairy is unnecessary. Yeah, I I'm I'm going to spend some time on that because I as as an athlete as as you know as you know my story, I I never envisioned the Olympics. Like I never sat there and was like one day ever. It, it just barely came into my sphere of possibility a couple of years out. And I was like, well, don't think about that yet. So I tend to be like that with Switch for Good where I just wake up every morning. I have no idea what the end of it is or exactly where we're going to go. But I just wake up every day and I go, well, what's the alternative? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to not fight. That's for damn sure. <laughs> they, I am going down kicking and screaming. Uh, if they off me one day, I mean, you know, that's a possibility too, uh, <laughs> the dairy industry, but what's the alternative? Yeah. I think you sit around having cocktails. I like cocktails, <laughs> but I can't do that all day long. <laughs> I wouldn't feel I good about myself. I think you I think that's the answer. Uh, you didn't even envision the Olympics and you ended up there unlikely, uh, medal winner, um, when, when years before that, anyone would have written you off and laughed at that idea. Uh, and I think it's because you have the ability to push forward. And I think if you apply that same ability here, which seems like that's what you're doing, you wake up and you just grind. Yeah, you'll reach the Olympics of uh, whatever situation we're good need is to capable have some of. Envisioning sessions. I, I think I think I, I think I better <laughs> take your advice because I can learn a lot from you. Oh, Dottie, this has been so much <laughs> fun. I can I can uh, I was so tempted to just spend the hour or so just just uh, getting uh, mindset coaching from you. Uh, as an athlete (laughs) and I think in some ways I think that's what I did Uh, but I appreciate the time this has been an exciting conversation one amongst many I'm sure 
Um, I can't wait to see what you do next with Switch for Good. And um, for people listening who want to get involved, what's the best way? Oh, gosh, the best way is always, um, I mean, in this day and age, social media, Mm -hmm. and we're just at switch the number four good. So switch for good on everything. And also our website, (laughs) switch the number four good.org. There's loads of way to get um, involved on the website, too, for um, those of us that are my generation that like websites more than social (laughs) media. (laughs) Thank you, Dotsie. Yeah, thank you so much. You've been listening to Eat for the Planet with Nil Zacharias. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to show your support, please subscribe to the show and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. To learn more about how Eat for the Planet can help your brand or organization develop the right strategy, implement scalable operations, and grow responsibly, visit EFTP.co. That's EFTP.co. Let's rise up to the challenge of transforming our food system. Thank you for listening. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.